0: Hey everybody, what's happening? This is Kent Chevalier, author of False Jesus, host of the False Jesus podcast. And man, am I excited that you decided to join me today. I've got a great episode, at least I think so, in store for you today. It is entitled The Power of Redefinition. And so as we get into this subject today, man, I believe that this is going to help some people out as we discuss and we try to figure out who is this Jesus that we speak of in So man, it's going to be a great episode for us. And then as always, I got this tiny little creative piece for you, and then I want to invite you to be a part of something with me. So without further ado, let's jump right into this episode of False Jesus called The Power of Redefinition. With every fantasy football season, I have to name my new team. I usually try to come up with a team name that has a deeper or double meaning. For instance, to honor my big brother. The season after he died from COVID, I named my team Little Box Truck because he had named his team Big Box Truck a decade earlier in the league because of an inside joke. Another year, I named my team Enter the Dragon based on my favorite Bruce Lee movie. Another season, I named my team Soda Popinski based off my favorite character to fight in the Nintendo game Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. This year, I've named my fantasy team Pride. I've always loved lions, their strength and power, the sound of their roar, the size and speed, how they work together as a team to hunt and protect their own, how their presence alone scatters their enemies and want to be predators. Yes, I'm that guy who cannot look away from a National Geographic video of a lion chasing down its prey and then eating its victory dinner with a blood-stained face. There's something powerful about lions. So did you know that a group of Lions is called a Pride? Hence my fantasy football team name. My hope is that my drafted players will work together to bring my team out on top to the point of eating my victory dinner at the end of this season. So I created a black and gold logo with a lion's head in the background and the word Pride in the foreground. And when I submitted my team name and logo to the league, then the text thread blew up with comments about gay pride and gifts of rainbows. This my friends is the power of redefinition. If you do a Google search of the word pride, the first things to pop up are articles about the LGBTQ community. This word is now associated with a powerful movement. This word is linked with the image of a rainbow. This word now defines a certain lifestyle. See, this is not a podcast about gay pride. This is a podcast about words and definitions. Because words are powerful. Definitions are crucial. And images that are connected to those words and definitions have the ability to shape and define a culture's lifestyle. And Jesus knew this. See, when people hear the word Christianity in today's culture, there's a gamut of words, definitions, and images that come to mind, ranging from very positive to extremely problematic, all the way from holy to horrific. This is why it's so important to examine the words and the lifestyle of Jesus alone, who's the centerpiece of the Christian faith. That's the purpose of my writing this False Jesus series, to always point us back to Jesus' words about himself and his expectations for his followers. Recorded in John 13, Jesus spoke very specific words of what he expected to define his disciples. He even gave them, and therefore us, a living image and an example from his own life that he hoped would burn into their hearts to solidify the Christian lifestyle. Look at this from John 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place... He said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is his messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And you're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, this is the image that Jesus wanted to be seared into his disciples' minds. The Son of God, the most powerful person in the room, humbled himself to wash his disciples' feet. At that moment, Jesus gave us a profound picture of what he hoped would define the movement that is now called Christianity, the washing of feet, which is the nasty job of the lowest person of their culture's totem pole, a servant. Jesus willingly took that lowest place to serve. See, Jesus gave us a living illustration of servanthood That was motivated by love so let me ask you this is that the image that comes to your mind when you hear the word christian in today's culture a servant my guess is a confident no see the term servant has a very negative connotation in our culture and rightly so Images of slaves being abused by their masters come to mind. This word conjures up a horrible American history of 400 years of the grossest violence against those who were treated as less than humans. So when Jesus instructs his followers to be servants, we have a hard time comprehending what he meant by this word. We have a visceral reaction to that word. See, when Jesus even said of himself, recorded in Matthew 20, 28, that he came to be a servant and not to be served, what in the world did he mean? I believe that the Apostle Paul captured it perfectly. In Philippians 2, check this out. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. So here you have Jesus described as the anointed son of God, the savior of the world, taking the form of a servant. Jesus chose to leave the richness of heaven to embrace the poverty of earth by becoming human and to serve humans. He willingly laid down his rights and later his life as the Son of God to serve both God and others. This is servanthood, defined and modeled by Jesus Christ. My question still is, are we seeing this in today's Christianity? See, I've been a part of an organization known as LionShare since 2003. See, I I told you that I really like lions. See, LionShare's aim is to co-mission with Jesus in fulfilling his great commission by igniting and equipping disciple-makers within the church and throughout the vocations where Christians work. Our pride, so to speak, believes that discipleship works best through relationship, using tools that reference God's character, ways, and mission. And one of those tools is Dave Buring's book, A Discipleship Journey. Now, God has used this book to rearrange my life in how I follow Jesus, next to the Bible itself. This book, A Discipleship Journey, has been the most influential book that I've ever read because it always points me back to Jesus and practically helps me to follow his ways. So in his eye-opening chapter called A Call to Discipleship, Dave Buring defines servanthood. He writes this, "...a servant relinquishes their rights so that they may better serve God and others." The heart of a servant desires to be available to God for his purposes, which include serving others. A servant's attitude is one of open and upward palms, willing to allow the Lord to take from them as well as give to them. He then goes on to list what servants of God willingly surrender in their lives, like Jesus did. And to be honest with you, I got mad the first time I read this list. I, I have a love-hate relationship with this servanthood list that's compiled from the pages of Scripture. This list, it, it makes me say things like, yeah, but... Or, well, what about... Because I'm used to having certain rights as American citizen. See, in a culture that's so quick to point out our inalienable rights... Dave Buring points to a higher authority that Christians have surrendered their lives to. See, when we choose to follow Jesus, we also surrender ourselves to his ways and his calling on our lives. Dave Buring writes this, Servants surrender their rights to their family. Servants surrender their rights to marriage. Servants surrender their rights to singleness when they marry. Servants surrender their rights to their friends, to their freedom, to their finances and possessions. Servants surrender their rights to popularity and reputation, to their time, to food, shelter, sleep, and comfort. Servants surrender their rights to their position and rank or place of importance, even their nationality or their denomination. Their gifts, their ministry, servants of God surrender their rights to their own opinions and the right to be right. Servants of God even surrender their rights to their future. See, I'll admit that this is a hard list to absorb, especially as a Christian who lives in America. But we have to work hard to remove the lens in which we see our rights, As Christians who submit ourselves to a higher authority than the rights and the laws of our country, we must be willing to relinquish these rights with open palms to make ourselves available to serve God and others, because this is what Jesus did. He willingly laid down all of his rights to serve because he was motivated by love. See, when a Christian walks in humility and obedience to God's ways, they begin to reflect Jesus more accurately. See, Jesus didn't do things for the applause of people. No, he served out of of a position of God's approval of him, and we should follow his lead. See, Jesus didn't do things to be noticed, but he served mostly behind the scenes. And when he did get noticed, he always pointed back to God. Jesus showed us that we need to serve no matter how nasty the job, like washing dirt, dust, and animal poop off of his disciples' feet. What I love about Jesus' model for servanthood was his willingness to serve anybody and everybody. See, whoever God told him to serve, Jesus served. He broke all of the cultural barriers and rules to serve people of all backgrounds and nationalities. In fact, he continued to serve the very people who mistreated him the most, and even those who eventually killed him. This is the Christian's model. See, Jesus showed us how to serve, even in his death on the cross. And that is the call of every Christian. We are to die to ourselves. Motivated by our love for God and others, we are to pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus' example. Take a look at Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Servants of God die to self and live for God and others. See, the problem is, is that we live in a world where self is king. We even take pictures of ourselves and post them on social media, and these pictures are called selfies. We're taught from the beginning to seek what is best for, quote, me and, quote, mine. Chase your dream. Work hard to get yours. Our lives revolve around self. Now, this is nothing new. This is natural. We're born to prefer ourselves. But friends, Jesus taught a different way. Jesus taught that we need to die to self. And what I love about Jesus is that he didn't just teach it, he lived it. Jesus taught that servants die to self-will to do God's will, and he did that by going to the cross. Jesus modeled for his followers that it's always better to die to pleasing yourself in order to please God. Jesus showed us that servants die to relying on themselves to put their full trust in God. Jesus taught that God's ways are always more important to a Christian than their own opinions. See, Jesus didn't just teach these things. He practiced what he preached. Jesus went all in on servanthood. That's why he could expect this of his followers. The challenge to all Christians is to follow Jesus' lead. According to Jesus, dying to self is not an option. Servanthood, motivated by love, is what Jesus expects. Remember, Jesus commanded it. Jesus said to his disciples, recorded in John 13, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I've loved you. You're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, this command to love comes right on the heels of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Therefore, you and I cannot separate love from serving God and others. This is how Jesus redefined servanthood. Jesus, who, by the way, is also referred to as the Lion of Judah in Revelation 5.5, the overcomer, the victorious Lion King, he willingly chose to lay down his crown. Motivated by love, he laid down his rights all the way to the point of laying down his life for you and me. Servanthood, motivated by love. This is a powerful redefinition of that word. This is what Jesus' pride should be known for. And now you know the deeper meaning of my fantasy football team name this season. Before you go, let's be really honest with each other. No person is going to get this right 100% of the time. God knows I don't, and you can also ask my wife and my daughters. See, our natural response is to think about ourselves and do what's best for ourselves, and my guess is that if you have a beef with Christianity or Jesus, it's likely because you've been around a Christian or stumbled upon one on social media who didn't follow Jesus' example. And I totally understand that. This is why I have a core conviction in writing these newsletters, hosting this podcast of false Jesus. We need to carefully examine the life and the teachings of Jesus himself before we throw out all of Christianity based on the behavior of his followers who are incapable of getting this right 100% of the time. So please, don't take their word for it. Don't even take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. Look at His life and then make your decision. Now in these podcasts, I've told you that I always want to give you kind of a creative piece. And so I want to explain to you, this one is not mine. This is actually written by a guy by the name of Bill Britton, and I came across this as I was going through a discipleship journey written by Dave Buring. So this is a poem, this is a creative piece written by Bill Britton called Dying to Self. When you are forgotten, neglected, or purposely set aside, and you don't sting and hurt with the insult or the oversight but you keep your heart right before God, glad to be counted as worthy to suffer for Jesus, that is dying to self. When your good is evil spoken of, when your wishes are crossed, your advice disregarded, your opinions ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, that is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, irregularity, unpunctuality, or any annoyance, and when you stand face to face with waste, foolishness, extravagance, and spiritual insensitivity, and endure it as Jesus did, that is dying to self. When you are content with any food, clothing, climate, culture, and any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation or to record your own good works or itch after commendations, when you truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you can see someone else prosper and have their needs met and can honestly rejoice with them from your heart and feel no envy nor question God while your own needs are far greater, that is dying to self. When you can receive rebuke and correction from one of less stature than yourself and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no places of rebellion or resentment rising up within your heart, that is dying to self. That's an incredible piece by Bill Britton. So here's my question for all of us as we end here today. Are you dead yet? As always in these episodes of False Jesus, I want to invite you to be a part of something with me. And so I want to re-invite you to what's called Pittsburgh Praise. Join tens of thousands of people this Sunday, July 10th, at Heinz Field for an incredible and free event, Pittsburgh Praise. Simply an event to gather and pray to see the region of Pittsburgh reconciled and united in Christ, to give thanks for answering our prayers during trying times, and to strengthen our relationships with one another as members of Body of Christ. See, there's gonna be three powerful goals of this event this Sunday. Number one, live worship. Churches from across the city will unite to provide an incredible worship experience together. Number two, we're going to pray to give thanks to God for bringing us through the pandemic and strengthening our relationships with one another as members of the body of Christ. And then third, unity. gathering various churches and Christian organizations, we want to see our city reconciled and united in Christ. So, for more information about this event, visit pittsburghpraise.com. There you can register yourself, your entire group, or your entire church today. I hope that you'll be able to make it to Pittsburgh Praise. Well, everybody, that's all I have for you today on this episode of False Jesus. As always, man, if you think that this is worthy of a share, have at it. That's not why I do this, but man, if you think it would help somebody, then man, give that to somebody. Have a great day, everybody. God bless. Until next time.